Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunt, Brian Christofferson. It is Friday, the end of June. We are fully in the dead period. What do you want to talk about? How many, how many fish did you catch, BC? Uh, yeah, I went up to Minnesota and I caught about 50 fish. 50? Yeah, over the course of a week. That's, you know, okay. How many did you let go? Yeah. Uh, f- 45. We only, kept, we only kept fish one day, filleted them for a little fish meal the next day with a batter. I used a shoreline batter. I'm, I don't know if I should be, you know, yeah. talking about my batters on publicly, but... I mean, is it a family secret? No, I don't think so, but I, I recommend the shoreline batter, and you really got to really really put it on there on that fish and you'll you'll have a delicious meal what's the, what's the largest fish that you caught uh the largest one i caught was like a three pound bass my brother probably won the week with a bass that was like four and a quarter which is pretty good sized in our lake and have you i've never fished so you've no, never fished never once i'll have to take you guys up there what? sometime it's like an eight hour trip though it's all right. We could do quite the podcast on that trip. Yeah, yeah do it on the boat. We would have to do it on the boat. That's the only place you can get reception. Like I, I you guys didn't try to contact me because I'm unnecessary, really. <laughs> and you had a better guest on last week that you can talk about later in Mario Verduzco. We tried to phone but, you in, but it, we couldn't get you. Yeah, yeah, I, you you wouldn't be able to. Um, I have to drive like 30 miles to when I sent my stories to a McDonald's. In Detroit Lakes, which is the home of Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen, good receiver. Is there a shrine at, to? I didn't. To him I don't think the they have anything that recognizes them. Detroit Lakes is kind of an interesting town. If you go there on the Fourth of July, it's very, it's a family oriented place. But then it's rough on the Fourth of July for some reason. Like I've gone there for the fireworks, and it's like Sturgis. Yeah, it's a little gritty. Gritty. <laughs> Just not uh, Norman Rockwell yeah, anymore. Yeah, you, you wouldn't think so. The Detroit Lakes, Minnesota would be a rough area, but it can be. I had no idea. Norman Rockwell's wearing leather chaps and things like that. Let's move on. You, you guys had a good week, though, while I was gone. Yeah, it wasn't a bad week. I didn't catch any fish. I've caught more fish in my lifetime than Brunt's has, apparently. That's true, yes. By extension of him not fishing at all and me fishing about six times. So, um I was going to ask if you'd ever had to fillet a fish and batter it up and any of that good stuff, and the I, answer is no. I can actually do that. I just, I myself have never fished. Okay. You could fillet a fish? Yeah. We used to do like fish fries mm-hmm. out, out in California. Yeah, it's not, it's not, I, I don't enjoy it. Like, I've fished all my life, but I still, when you put the knife down on the little fella, <laughs> I just don't love it. But, you know, it's flopping a little bit. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> well, let's move away from Brian's. The thing that you guys didn't comment sadness. on, the thing you didn't comment on, is this beard, which has taken me like eleven days just to get to this, because I didn't sh- I didn't shave it all week or and haven't since I gotten back, and this is what it is. This is the best I can do. That's that's better than what I can do. I think. Yeah. Looks fine. I didn't even really notice yeah. until you yeah. pointed it out. I've never had it this this much growth on my face you gonna keep it going i might go like another week and see what happens 
Have, you, have, have a lot of people noticed? Have you been no, stopped? nobody noticed. That's why I'm so disappointed. I keep like going up like, hey, <laughs> you know, kind of. You're just looking in the mirror and you're like, where are you? <laughs> yeah. Is it here? That sound you hear is Brian the rubbing part, the microphone on his beard. The part that is really hard for me is the part from your mustache to the little the filler. Yeah, the, the what, is there an official term for it? Uh, the connectors. Is it not? I mean, Brian, I had the same what? issue when I was 16. <laughs> You know, and I first tried to grow a beard. That's great. I mean, it didn't, it didn't come in right away, but, you know, you keep growing beards, and eventually it patches over, and it looks like one full thing now. So if I just keep growing it, like, two weeks, shaving, growing two weeks, and, like, it'll come back, you know, like... I mean, that's as far as I can tell you. I didn't do anything different from when I was 16. To suddenly when I Teen Wolf. In. Yeah. Yeah. I think that helps. All right. Well, that's what I hope to do. Covered a lot of ground here so far today. Some oh. fishing, beard care. I'd like to it's hear... It's the dead period. I have a question, though. We got a question. What about... Uh, you guys had a good interview last week. I didn't listen to it, but I was told <laughs> that it was really good. With, with Mario Verdusco, quarterback's coach at the University of Nebraska. So nobody, when they were gone, listened to the podcast of the people when... <laughs> the, the only reason I listened to it when you guys... When I was gone is because I had to edit it, and it... I, I caught the last five seconds of it in the first five seconds, and that was about it. The last five seconds were me complimenting the podcast, weren't they? That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part about that is that you've now admitted to our listeners that you spend 10 seconds on editing the podcast. I can't be held responsible for what occurs between the 10-second mark and the 45-minute mark or whatever it is. Well, now people know the secret to our... Okay, our so so if if everybody should go back and listen... Because I've been told, not by you guys, but by the listeners, the public, that it was really quite informative. But what did you guys, what was like a main takeaway or two, kind of to just recap it for those of us that are catching up? Some of it we had covered with Verduzco before in the non-podcast. I mean, I had talked with him about accuracy, and that's kind of where a lot of this stemmed from is a conversation we had outside the theater in Geneva when we were locked out and we couldn't get into where he had to speak. Um, and I am just somewhat fascinated on his thoughts on quarterback play and really what it is. It's not even so much quarterback play. It's almost his philosophical thoughts on athleticism in, in the first place and what happens in your mind to generate what happens on the field that's probably what I found most interesting as he was going through it um, and how he has built this over the series of you know, years, starting way back when the early 80s uh, and Bill Walsh and the people that he knew at San Jose State and the research that he did there that has propelled him throughout his career at all of the various stops. Uh, and it has obviously served him pretty well. And the thing that was interesting to me is you have a guy who thinks outside the box on these things and he's working with a head coach that fully not only accepts it, went to him when he became a quarterback's coach, even though he played quarterback, when he became a quarterback's play or quarterback's coach at Oregon, he went to Verduzco and wanted to know everything he could. Mm -hmm. To me, that's all very telling and information. And he covered a lot of ground. I mean, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we turned the mics off, and it was about another hour after yeah. that, too, of just him explaining. You know, he made mention of, like, the, the cat on the treadmill and the brainstem that was on the board behind us when we were recording it. And 
kind of explained, you know, the science behind why he teaches the way that he does. And it, it makes sense. Like, and, and it's, it's interesting to me though, too, because you have that approach to it, which is so evidence-based, so science-based and you're teaching, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids who, you know, most people would say, okay, well, you're, you're of the, you know, smartphone generation, you have a low attention span, all this other stuff. But what he's actually getting to do is to get it to, to where it's almost second nature for these guys. And, and you're instantaneous reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're not thinking. And, you know, the, he talked a lot about kind of how, what, what the responsibilities of quarterbacks are in, in the run game and how they teach quarterbacks to not go through progressions by looking at a wide receiver, but looking at areas rather. So it's just faster and things like that that make it more quarterback friendly because we've heard that this system is quarterback friendly. And it's, you know, one thing to say that. But you get to experience it, and he's putting scenarios up on the whiteboard, and then he's quizzing you about where you should be going with the ball. And you got a couple of schlubs that have never really played quarterback that are able to, to go through it. Uh, it is kind of eye-opening how simplistic their offense is if it operates on certain keys in these mm-hmm. situations. But, but now, and there's part of this that it goes well beyond simplicity. But, I mean, in the way that it was explained to us, you can certainly see how – these guys are able to react and respond quickly. And, and to to kind of double back to kind of how the quarterback position has been taught at Nebraska in the past, compare what we heard last week with Bill Callahan's players trudging around with, you know, six-inch playbooks that, you know, everybody was saying how great the offense was because, I mean, look at all these plays. There's, you know, this more is better, but, like, I think really getting an understanding of how this staff is going to teach this offense. Yes, you know they're hoping to get it to where running it is simplistic, but you can tell when you're lining up in a similar play with the different looks and everything that they can throw at a defense, it's not simple at all if you're trying to stop it. Yeah, one of the things that he was telling us, I think I have this right, is that a play is the same name across every formation so you can call, you know, if the play is bobblehead, Bruns has a collection of bobbleheads over here, and that involves three wide receivers, one tight end, and various routes based on where the safety lines up. It doesn't matter, you know, in what formation they're sort of lined up in or, or what the look exactly looks like. The play is going to be the same if the tight end splits out or if the tight end stays in and the wide receiver goes in motion to the other side. It doesn't really change. And so I, I think that, um, that was really interesting. He talked to us a little bit about, and this would have been if we could have spent more time with it. He talked to us a little bit about the zone blocking scheme of, of Greg Austin and why he thinks that Greg Austin is a genius in terms of run game planning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is all the stuff that, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to put on the podcast and we were able to get firsthand. Uh, and it was great. I mean, in my yeah. experience of covering this team, it's probably the most inside that I'd been in terms of what a game planning and what actual play calling and goes on in the offensive conversations as they're putting stuff together. I like so far too, that this staff isn't afraid to let you inside that door. You know, it doesn't have to be like this massive secret. I mean, obviously you can't give away everything you're, you're doing over there, but sometimes I feel like there's some of these coaches in the modern college football game. It's like, 
we've got to take this thing so stinking serious, you know. And it's it's silly to me, especially when you have a fan base like this one that feels like they're part of it. I think when they can connect them in some way to this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it. I think people, when things don't go well, rational people sometimes when it's, it's explained a certain way, they're like, okay, I see why that didn't work out, you know. Um, that's why I think it's useful. I don't know if that they're going to, but the coordinators, when they talk after games, always liked it because, you know, they could sometimes explain this is why that didn't work, you know. Last year was a different story with some of the post games, but well, I think too, you know, with you know, Nebraska does a great job of producing very polished, very planned glimpses in, into the the program. I mean, the, they do a fantastic job on social media and connecting and that kind of thing. But you know, it's when you hear a coach explaining their process and and how they approach their craft. I mean, it, it's a little bit more unvarnished, but at the same time, it's it's more honest. I mean that that's. I think you're right. I mean, if you know a play goes wrong or you know something doesn't pan out the way that you know it should, I think fans are a little bit more willing to accept it if they understand the the thought process behind it. And obviously, you know, if you listen to that hour podcast, you know things don't happen haphazard. Like they're not just. <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of throwing things together and hoping they work. There's a lot, a lot of research and a lot of planning that goes into these things. Did he talk about? This is something that I was thinking about with quarterback play. Did he talk about improvisation at all? Like how much they judge quarterbacks? Like not when a play doesn't go as like it's written on the napkin. To me, this is what can decide the QB race in some ways. I would think is like, how does that guy function when the D lineman does break through? It's not going as planned. And the route tree that you had established on paper isn't necessarily there. He didn't talk about that in specifics to the question. It came up a little bit in his, and I don't even know if we were on air or, not, I guess not on air. I don't know if we were recording or not. It came up when he was talking about Mackenzie Milton and how he knew that this guy was going to be mm-hmm. a really good player oh, because yeah, he, of his creativity. That was, that was during it. Yeah, I mean, it was about his creativity and the, the way that he could see the field and think different based on what he was, what had happened. Yeah. And that the play wouldn't be dead because of it. And it, we didn't get super deep into it, but that was one of the kind of takeaways that I had from, I think we were asking him, you know, how soon did you know that it was different with McKenzie Milton than any other quarterback on your roster at that time? And that was one of the answers that he gave is that he has that kind of, and it seems like Roduska values that, that sort of creativity that you can improvise. Mm-hmm. That they're not, I mean, he doesn't want people thinking of them as robots, and they're not robots. I mean, they're programmed in the sense of which, they, how they want the offense to operate, but they still have to have the capability that if it's off schedule to be able to, yeah. to still create and improvise. Because when you think about the Peach Bowl, if you remembering that game, UCF won in large part because of what McKenzie Milton could do when it was disrupted, right. which is going to happen when you play a team like Auburn with dudes like that. He was also saying, though, that one of the reasons that he did take such a big leap forward from freshman to sophomore year was realizing that you know he's a part of this wheel basically and that you know 
he doesn't have to those quarterbacks don't have to go out and win the game but understand that there's definitely ways that you can cock it up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, Big phrase of yeah, the that's a, yeah. Brooks is <laughs> dropping it in like he owns it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, I, I think that's you know when you're talking about young quarterbacks like Adrian Martinez and Tristan Jebby or whomever. I mean, I, I think that's a big lesson to learn, and, and frankly, a lesson that I don't know that quarterbacks in recent Nebraska history have learned as their careers have gone. No along. idea what you're referring to. I know. Uh, not a clue. Well, I mean, has there been guys around here that just go for it that have perhaps struggled with turnovers and not around here, not in Nebraska. You wrote about it too, but I like I like that he to, not to hurt the guys who are private QB coaches, but I hurt him. I'm, I'm wound him. I don't. I've never understood why why that happened in the first place is because if i mean if you think about like a major league baseball players in an organization they're working on a swing a certain way and you don't have like somebody from the outside like come in suddenly for two weeks and well maybe you should move your elbow here you know like i've I never understood why that has been even though i will say then like taylor martinez case i thought he got better with some coaching but nebraska also didn't have a qb specialist like they have now i think in mario they didn't really have a quarterback coach during that era so um i i i totally get why he feels the way that he does about private quarterback coaches and i i mean i was building to that question and i knew where that answer was gonna go and it it makes sense i mean if you feel as strongly as he does that there is a specific way to teach guys how to operate as quarterbacks. You don't want someone coming through and undoing that or getting in the head of those individuals when they're supposed to just be instantaneously thinking and reacting and having that moment of doubt because someone else said, well, maybe it should be like this. So I I wasn't at all surprised. I know that some people were mentioning that Jebby has still worked with somebody. Well, that happened after the first practice during their spring break. So I don't think that uh, you'll see Jebbia working with whoever it was kind of going forward. So yeah, um, I am uh, – I, I totally understand where he's coming from with it. And I, I some of it, you know, just from my own experience of watching it and the increase of this in, in recruiting, some of these guys that are quarterback coaches are simply because they were athletic individuals who happened to play quarterback at some point in their life, not because they've really studied the nuances of the position. And so not all training is equal. And I think that's sort of what Verduzco's point was, Mm -hmm. is that he has no way of knowing if the individual that's going to be working with his quarterback is going to be pursuing the same sort of goal that he is trying to pursue. So why would he want anybody to undo the work that they're doing? There you go. That was a good. That was a good uh, recap of yeah. the week that was. I like that. Brunt goes silent, so we're at that point of the podcast. Yeah, we're twenty minutes in. I like the point where you guys get into it about Brunt's going silent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't have anything to add to it. Right. Well, I, Broadcast I lessons are really do. paying off. <laughs> Apparently. What about the D line? Is that? Yeah, so that was that's our position of the week, the yeah. defensive line. So I actually have a question for you guys. We talked about this, or I talked about this with a radio show this week, and I think it's kind of interesting. When you look at the levels of the defense, where do you put the defensive line? 
because if you just do the levels, not breaking out individual positions, so like your defensive backs, your linebackers, and your defensive line, where I view it at, I think that they, because of the safeties, I feel better about the defensive backs than I maybe do the defensive line because they were so underwhelming at times last year. And I don't know. They, they didn't really have any personnel changes or there's no real expected personnel changes. There's nothing new there other than a new defensive line coach and maybe a different scheme. Maybe. Well, right. A, a different scheme, a more attacking scheme, different strategy. Um, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to look like this year. And I think that I probably know less about that defensive line than I do just about anything else. I have a general idea of what I'm thinking the defensive backs are going to look like and the linebackers. With that defensive line, I mean, it could run eight deep. It could run six deep. It could run four deep. And I don't know if any of them are going to break out or, or what we're looking at. Well, we always like a good talent discussion in this state. Like, do they got the talent or not? And for the whole team this year, I think you're really going to get a gauge by December. Like, okay, you know, what? I think that question can be answered a lot better than it has been than people have been able to answer it in the last couple of years. And I think in the defensive line in particular, you're going to really see was, okay, was it last year that these guys, they just need to upgrade their talent and recruiting? Or is it simply these guys weren't, you know, coached very well in that scheme. And I know the guys over there, of course, they're going to say this would say the latter. I mean, that's what they said all spring. It was like, yeah, they didn't let us get after them. You know, it was all, it was kind of this, uh, I don't even know how, how to explain it, but, uh, it has been mockingly referred to as dancing bears. That yeah, there you go. So I mean, that's the one that I've heard a lot. I mean, uh, there's there's moments like stand up patty cake. Heard that one. <laughs> there's moments like general hand fighting of inertia. Oh, you got a lot of them. And <laughs> there was a lot said <laughs> about the lack of defensive <laughs> line. What is that? Look at message board guy. <laughs> yeah, over this here. guy's got. <laughs> I read the message boards. What do you guys do all day? I mean, there's games like last year where you watched like Carlos Davis go against like Illinois, which was playing a bunch of young guys, and he just exposed them, and he he dominates, you know. But then, um, I've always thought like Carlos Davis. I mean, it feels like he has all the tools to be a great player. But this is the year you want to see a guy like him become like that second or third team all conference guy you know i'm not saying he has to go right to the top but where you at least feel where people around the league are looking at nebraska and saying yeah that guy we gotta we gotta watch you know 96 and they need a few of those guys writing about uh kind of how eric chenander values sacks tackles for loss that kind of stuff uh went back through pro football focuses numbers um for kind of how UCF did with that, with hurries. I was especially kind of curious about Carlos Davis was credited, I believe for 19 of the 86 uh, hurries that that Nebraska had last year. Um, UCF's number 156 as a team and Nebraska had 86. So, I mean, yeah, it's probably, it could be talent, I think scheme's a pretty big part of that. I mean, when you look at tackle for loss numbers and sack numbers, UCF nationally was kind of in the middle of the pack for both of those, uh, right around in in the 60s and low 70s. But, you know, at least being able to get close to getting home, 
you know, that, that was one area that they kind of excelled. So I, I think that they should be better. I don't know who it's going to be that's going to do it, though, because... I always forget about them. Ben uh, Stilly is a defensive end now. Yes. I keep thinking that he's an outside linebacker, but he's a defensive end. I think he will help out with some of that pass rush. I think he'll lead the team in sacks. Really? That's my prediction. Wow. We had a bold prediction yeah. right there. So when you when you trot out your three guys, because I'm assuming we'll go, we'll see a 3-4 right away? Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> For this exercise, 3-4. Three, three, okay. who, who are your three guys out there to start? If he's healthy, Stoltenberg's in the middle. Um, and then I would probably go with, with Ben Stilley and Carlos Davis. I think those are probably your best two pass rushers. Uh, Freedom has given you a lot of starts and a lot of reps in recent years, that's, but he's that's the guy where I'm like, what? Where, where's he at? Because he's played a lot of football, doesn't really have a ton stat wise to show for it. Has you know maybe shown it flashes earlier in his career. He had a bunch of hurries under the last year of the Mark Banker system. That's about what I can tell you of Freedom. Sometimes you need that senior guy who. He's kind of had an okay career, and then he, you know, suddenly he has that where he, he says, "This okay, there's a finish line. I really gotta, I gotta step up here, and also help his draft status." If you know, he's thinking about that, and I think Freedom could have a season where he, where he is. Uh, I mean, I think they would start Freedom and Davis and Stoltenberg, and and still he's right there. Basically, still he's gonna play a lot of snaps. They like still. I mean, you can just tell the way they talked about him in the spring that all the coaches think he's like the kind of guy you build around. Does um, who's the other person? I was DeAndre Thomas. Like his move to end. I'm curious to see how that works too, because I mean, he was pretty vocal about the fact that he's no longer a defensive tackle uh, during the spring. I mean, he, he's a, the type of guy that. I feel like if he got his body reshaped a little bit, I think he could be a factor too. But it, I, I just think you're going to see a lot of guys rotating through there in that would, end spot. Uh, have to. Neil is going to be involved. Yeah. Damian Daniels will be involved and in Khalil. the middle. We haven't even mentioned Khalil Davis. Yeah, he'll be involved. Um, and then you got a couple freshmen. I wonder if either of them ever see minutes this year in uh, Casey Rogers and Tate Wildeman especially because you can retain the red shirt mm-hmm. even after playing several games. So they they have the potential for a very deep defensive line. Peyton Newell also in the middle as well. Um, Vaha. Vaha Vainuku. You heard it. Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce it. But. Damian Daniels, to me, is, a low, is like a low-key, really important behind the scenes. He's got to have like a good year of like, I don't even know if it's low-key. I feel like everybody He's got to jump into the thing. Yeah, yeah he might have to. Um, but at the very least, he has to be a guy where by November, you're, you see him getting a couple TFLs here and there, and you're you're thinking he's going to be something that next season. Kind of like this was later in his career, but Kevin Maurice near the end of like his junior year, he was just kind of a, a guy that... It was junior year he had that Illinois game. Mm-hmm. He just he went nuts, and then he got hurt, 
And then he came back at the end of that year and was pretty good for him. You started to see like some plays, like I remember in the Iowa game, where you're like, okay, that in the next season he can he can own that spot and give you something. And I think Damian Daniels has to be that kind of guy by November at least. I think Damian Daniels has to be that kind of guy because they're going to have problems with nose tackle. Well, they might. <laughs> so that's my general working theory. I mean, I if he's healthy, it's going to be Stoltenberg's job, but I just don't know how he's going to hold up for that many games. And and he doesn't – here's the thing. If they have a good rotation of people in the middle and Daniels plays well, you can throw Newell in there for a little bit. You can throw Khalil in there for a little bit. You can throw Vaha in there for a little bit. You don't have to get a ton of snaps from Stoltenberg. But eventually you're going to want someone that's kind of your A guy playing important snaps late in games when mm-hmm. teams are either trying to salt away a win or, you know, you're – you're struggling in field position. You could have Carlos on the inside and have Freedom and Stilly out there, and that's yeah. a that's a They've pretty good, about that. That's a pretty good trio, I think. So, they, I mean, they have no shortage of options or fronts or what it's all going to look like. So it's, it's it's a very interesting unit. I just I don't know. As with all things with the defense, I'm so much in a don't really believe any of it until it happens mode. Oh, so. I know. Yeah. It's been discussed. I've yeah. heard. I've heard. A little Susie cynical over here. Okay, who's gonna lead who's gonna lead the D lineman in sacks? I said Stilly. I think uh I'll go with Carlos Davis, I think. It's a Hmm. Uh I think probably those two guys make the most sense. So I'll go with Stilly out of that. Do you have a surprise like guy? Like who's a surprise? Like he's going think, to be important. I think Neil is going to play more mm-hmm. this year under this staff. Maybe get to the potential that he has. I mean, that's a guy that a lot of people liked late in the recruiting process. Michigan was very high on him. I know our evaluators liked him quite a bit because of his body type. He just hasn't flashed, and and this is kind of the time to do it. Um, there was some concerns, I think, about his conditioning a little bit, but he's cleaned some of that stuff up, and I think there's some excitement about him. So he's maybe the surprise guy. I'd go with probably DeAndre Thomas as my surprise guy. Yeah. I thought he played well enough against – I mean, he's really struggled when he got in a Big Ten season against you know pretty good competition, but I think he'll be better off for it now. That's who I was going to say, too. I always remember he was your number one uh, – guy on super six from that recruiting class yeah i think he's in a better spot with this staff and where they want him to play than as someone who was caught in that transition class last year to the three four defense where i just didn't feel like he fit really at all yeah it's going to be interesting how much because eric chenander is very vocal about don't label this defense this i play all these different defenses depending who we're going against so that that's gonna be one of those like sidebars to the season. Like how much three four do they actually play? Like what percentage of other defenses do they throw in there? And and how does that shift the personnel groupings? Yeah, because I mean, I with the depth at certain positions, not necessarily the secondary. I could see where you could play like a four two five with this defense pretty easily, like with the personnel and mix and match a little bit especially with Breon Dixon being eligible now because I think he's kind of a nice little piece for that. From what I'm hearing from you guys, expect the five-man front at some point making its return. 5-2. Give me that 5-2. Five 5-2 two. Two bear? Yeah. The old 5-2 bear, monsters of the midway. 
Dedrick Young and I don't know Mo Berry in the middle there. Your your linebackers have to cover a lot of field by themselves. Yeah, you don't like that look. <laughs> I think against certain teams it might work. Come on, Paul Chris, <laughs> run it right at me. What are you going to do against the five-two? Uh, I don't know how well that's going to work against teams that want to spread them out a little bit. Like if they were playing Nebraska's own offense, it wouldn't work well at all. Uh, let's jump to the other side of the ball where we can discuss Nebraska's newest commitment, Matthew Anderson. They plucked him out of Leesville, Louisiana. Brunson and I looked again on the map today just to point out how remote it is, and Brunson exclaimed something about it still being two and a half hours away from Shreveport. Yeah, it's it's a ways. Which is a ways from society. Which is the edge of the earth, so this yeah. is like two hours past that. And it is also, it's two hours from Lafayette, it's two hours from Lake Charles, it's three hours from Baton Rouge, it's four hours from... Four and a half from New Orleans. Yeah, four and a half from New Orleans. So Leesville is rural Louisiana, not an area where Nebraska recruits a lot, but they found Matthew Anderson through coaching connections. Matthew has, uh, you know, we talked to him for several stories, we'll hear from him I'm sure. Again, he's been on several of the radio programs. I mean, he is a – to a T fits, I think, what Nebraska wants in their offensive linemen. I think he fits what they want in the personality of the guys joining their program. Uh, I think that it's a, a very good addition, and he's got a great chance to kind of be a sleeper in this class. I, I like him a lot. I, I always like the offensive linemen where you're bringing them in that they have the body upside of, you know, they're only 250, 260 pounds when they arrive here, and mm-hmm. you're getting a year to sort of work with them. And, like Brennan Hymas was. Yeah, I, I mean, Brennan Hymas is probably my favorite Nebraska line recruit in years. And, uh, you know, he, he played very – I was surprised by how well he played last year. It was relatively undersized, and he held up pretty well. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's essentially what Wisconsin does with, with their guys. I mean, they, they bring in guys that are 245, 250. And they leave at 315 pounds just in the hulk, first round. Yeah, just hulking first rounders. Yeah. I mean, two of their guys won't, two of their guys that are potential first round picks this year, one was 245 pound tight end. The other was a quarterback in high school yeah. that uh, they just put weight on. I mean, it's, it makes sense to me. It, it's so much. My little pea brain. Better to do that than to get the guy that's 345 pounds and try to get him down to 315 and have him still play. And because, especially in this offense, you got to have the athleticism to move. I mean, if you're running tempo on people, you can't have that guy who, you know, got a pancake and he's got to run 15 yards downfield, get in spot, get lined up so you can snap and call the play and everything else. So it's, it's important to have linemen that can move. Um, I mean, that's that's basically the gist of Matthew Anderson. I, I mean, it's no magical. Nebraska's out on a limb in, a, in the sense that they're the only Power 5 team that has offered him. Uh, I know there's people that are a little bit concerned that they went ahead and took that commitment, but I think when you look at the previous commitment to it, it was Ronald Tompkins who had offers from just about everybody in America. So I don't think it's indicative of any sort of recruiting strategy from Nebraska uh, that they're just trying to – get easy commitments to fill some of the spots in the class. Some, some hand-wringing about them recruiting like Iowa? Are, are you saying that's not, there's, not there's founded? no shortage of hand-wringing at any point in time. So, uh, and, and obviously not everybody, but just, there was a, a relatively vocal minority leading into that commitment. They were concerned that he didn't have better offers. But 
I, I just think that he, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to help out your program in a lot of different ways. I really do. And definitely, as we learned earlier today, probably isn't getting seen a ton in person by uh, coaching no. staffs no. out on the road. Yeah. And, and how about, I mean, just the connections of you, you got a guy that you worked with in the junior college ranks who knows that this kid's too good for Northwestern State in louisiana so he calls up held and he's like hey you gotta you gotta check this kid out i mean i don't know how often that happens i haven't heard that story a whole hell of a lot um so i thought that was a a pretty cool thing here for matthew anderson in nebraska i could go with the handwringing crowd maybe if it's like january or something and you're offering a kid and he's got nothing but to me it's actually the opposite somewhat when like you're willing to step on that ledge and say, oh, we like the kids so much here in the summer months. Um, jump on in. You know, that that's confidence in it. That that tells you something. I think it's going to pay off with another kid in the class that we saw at Friday Night Lights. Who? Ethan Piper. I'm like all aboard this Ethan Piper. I kind of right gathered now. that, yeah. He looked really good. He looked really good. I mean, uh-huh. and then his testing numbers backed it up. The guy weighed in at 279, runs a 4'8". I mean, that's better than at least yeah. one running back will do in the NFL Combine this year. So for him to do that as a 279-pound defensive lineman, uh, right around six foot four, has the ability that he can play inside or outside, could even play on the offensive side of the ball. I, you know, I was one of those people that when he committed was somewhat surprised at how early that offer had went out to him. And you know, you see him in the spring game, you watch his huddle. It's all fine. And then you see him in this camp, and I know that camp isn't everything, but you see how he has reshaped himself in a short amount of time and the explosion that he has. I mean, nobody at that camp was going to stop him. There were some guys there that mm-hmm. had some offers. And, I mean, he was blowing right by people. I, I think that if he plays a little bit as a as a lighter nose tackle, could be a very dangerous pass rushing guy in obvious passing situations from the interior. It feels like they've got this run of really good in-state like linemen that are starting to pop up. You know, when you can think of Stilly and Piper, and I think Garrett Nelson's a kid who has kind. Of, Garrett Nelson kind of reminds me of of Stilly a little bit. Like in the, some people will probably undervalue him and won't talk about him as much, but he just seems like he's got that kind of drive where he's going to make himself pretty good. And they've. It feels like there's just been a little bit more of a surplus in the last year or two of Nebraska kids kind of like that. They're on a good run of in-state guys, I think. And, um, you know, I just having a chance to see Ethan Piper, I think it's going to help alleviate some of the concerns and fears about Bryson Williams getting away to Wisconsin. I mean, I mm-hmm. you could see where Nebraska maybe gets the better end of that deal here. Ethan Piper was the kid who, like, committed – and he went to his youth group church thing on a Wednesday night and didn't tell anybody, and it just, like, popped out on Twitter that he had committed. And I I, I don't know. I kind of like that about him. He didn't, like, go broadcast it to everybody. It just – No hat ceremony there. Yeah. I, I liked his style. Yeah. Do you have any takeaways from Friday Night Lights Part 2? No, I mean, Piper was probably the big one. You know, the guys, you're kind of like, oh, this, this is pretty impressive. I've seen Garrett Nelson twice. In, in camp situations, I mean, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty intriguing player. Um, you know, he was he's going to be an outside linebacker, showed up and worked out as a defensive end at the big man camp. Uh, nobody could block him on the edge, and I think the line talent 
was a little bit better at the big man camp than it was at the second Friday Night Lights camp. Um, moves well. I mean, he, he's a wrestler, so you know he, he understands uh, leverage and that kind of stuff, which helps. But uh, just a, another one of those guys, I think, where it, it means something to him to play at Nebraska, and you know he's already kind of looking at a guy like Ben Stilley as a good example of what he can eventually grow into, and I, I think that's a pretty good comp for him and what he can eventually be. So, I mean, beyond that, I mean, it's there are a few guys that, that stood out a little bit, I, I guess, from, from Friday Night Lights. I, I don't know that there was anybody that was, you know. Do you think it was a very physical Friday Night Lights? Yeah, that was that kind of blew up a little bit, didn't it? Poor Kevin Suits. <laughs> His mentions will never be the same. Yeah, he got caught in the war between seven on seven and padded football. <laughs> it happens, Kevin. And I came back. Like, thoughts. I came back like three days later to catch up on it a little bit. <laughs> I was confused at what was going on, but yeah, it it's funny though because that not saying that it's right or whatever, but that happens probably once or twice at camp where some guy, some defensive back, you know gets pretty physical with a, a wide receiver. I mean, at the Army All-American game a couple of years ago, a guy, defensive back, blocked a guy out of bounds and over a bench, I remember. Um, so it's it's not without precedent, but that was probably the uh, the most lively thing to come out of that yeah. camp. The kids involved, too, know, I mean, they know that's not what they can do. It's just, it's kind of a mano-a-mano type deal, like I'm going to, just take you down at the line of scrimmage and Buki used to do it quite a bit not maybe to that level but I, I remember you would just take ride him onto the sideline and it was pretty celebrated by everybody right. so I don't know I'd, I'd give the kid a little bit of a break on it well Nebraska did not offer Tyreek Henderson and so he will continue to wait we'll see if he ends up at a prep school which is what it looks like is going to happen for him is formally committed to Minnesota, but dropped that commitment in December and reclassified now to 2019. That's kind of the bulk of your recruiting update at this point. It's going to be a little bit slow. Nebraska in the dead periods can still have communications with guys in terms of you know messaging, um, but otherwise it'll be quiet. We got a lot of the coaches are out on vacation, enjoying their lives for the first time in what I assume to be a year. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, when I asked... They didn't get any time off. Yeah, when I asked Verduzco about that, he was quickly, pretty quick to point out that, you know, their season started well before December 2nd or whatever it was. So they, uh, they've they been well-earned vacation for those guys. I solicited a couple uh, podcast topics on the site while you guys were over there fiddling around with your computers earlier. Um, a couple questions, quick ones. Adrian Martinez, over or o- under or over 5,000 passing yards this year? Under. Under. So we've got some consensus there. Uh, an interesting one. What does a, a successful Frost era look like five years in? Big picture, meaning what could or should Nebraska fans reasonably expect in that window? Five years in? Five years They're in. They're a top ten team. Reasonably. Reasonably? Yeah. Like I mean, not I'm not saying it's like a demand every year, but I'm I I think they would put that standard too. It's like wow, I I think that's what they're shooting for. I I think in three years they want to be a top ten team. So with the question, I I've never understood it. Does that mean like what happens in the five years? Like do have they gone? You know, I I think what what I'm guessing the the 
the uh, put words in his mouth. Okay. Speak for this this user. I think what Casey Husker forty four means is that would would is it reasonable to expect say a conference title during that window, or top think, ten team or yeah I mean I think all a that college is, football playoff bowl game or a yeah national championship or I think it's reasonable to expect that they win the Big Ten West multiple times in the five year stretch okay I think it's How reasonable to two. Two? Two is a good number. Uh, I think it's reasonable to expect that they have a team capable of playing, uh, you know, capable of winning the Big Ten, which isn't quite the same as, as winning the Big Ten West. I mean, there's still a gap there. And, I, you know, BC said top 10. I was thinking top 15, top 20. Uh, and But almost more as like a, a year-in, year-out thing. Instead of this blip on the radar, a couple years off, blip on the radar. I mean... I think sustained success is a reasonable expectation, too, if this thing gets off the ground. But that's the big if. Yeah, top 15 is fine, too. I mean, I, I just think it's – I think by year five, they will – they expect to be a consistent, like, you know, when you get your preseason top 25s out, there's Nebraska at number 12, you know, and it it's kind of back to that. I think that's what, what they're shooting for. I, I think that's fair. I think – to Big Ten West title. I think five years in, I think, you know, you play two, three times in Indianapolis, you win one. I mean, is, is winning one there, is that a... How many New Year's Six Bulls have they played in at this point? Five, five years, years in? Put me down for one. I'd say one. Fair. You think more than one? Uh, I would probably say one. I think... I mean, keep in mind they haven't played in the New Year's Six Bowl since two thousand and one. Would be really impressive um, where it's been this year's schedule, and obviously transition. No, then next year. Actually, next year is the year where I look at the schedule and I think like if they figured it out, they could do some stuff. But then you look at the schedule. I think it's twenty twenty, mm-hmm. pretty rough again. Not that it's all about that, but it it does get a little more daunting. Next year, it sets up for a team if they were. You know, if the quarterback play comes around. In their defense, yeah. yeah. How many times during that five-year stretch will Nebraska have forced Ohio State to punt? Keeping in <laughs> mind that they haven't forced them to punt since 2012. No, didn't they? They forced one last year, didn't they? One? Stats department's on this. I thought, sure I, th- I thought there was one punt, like, in the second half. Like a mercy and, punt? Yeah, kind of like uh, Urban I don't Myers. think so. I thought the only time that Ohio State – Drive ended without a score was when the clock ran out at the end of the first half. Could be. I don't know. Browns will get to the bottom Talk of it. amongst yourself. But it, number of punts by Ohio State in the How next. How many times do they play in this stretch? Four? They play, what, three more years? When's it, when does this thing end? <laughs> <laughs> the podcast? No. Well, people are probably asking that, too. But when does, when does Nebraska-Ohio State get Why to? Why our stats department is not able to look up any of our questions as we sit here in front of computers <laughs> that we're choosing not to use? Keep talking. Nebraska will force Ohio State to punt. Okay, this year, three times. Here's, here's how here's how to answer your questions. Well, I bet they force a punt more than three times. I don't think Ohio State's going to be as good this year. Stats department, here's your answer. Ohio State last year, touchdown, touchdown, <laughs> touchdown, field goal, fumble, touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown, touchdown, end of game. No punt. So the guy hasn't punted in two years. 
two meetings. Two games against Nebraska. Yes. There was a fumble though. There was a fumble. Somebody <laughs> take away. Yeah. How did I forget how that happened? I I've erased that game from my brain. <laughs> Do you remember when DiCaprio Boodle took the ball from that guy and they didn't give him credit for it? it would have changed the whole game. Wouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. It could have been an entirely <laughs> set, different set of tone. We're talking about year four of Mike Riley at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's officially the dead period. Okay, one more question for you, mm-hmm. and I haven't read this one ahead of time, so I don't know what he's getting at but we'll we'll read it anyways <laughs> frost and company well, recruit fun, a bit yes. different with all of the offers they throw out do you hear much from kids that the staff is wanting is waiting more on one kid or another to make a decision before they can decide it seems lately we've been hearing a lot of commits with a take them while you can get the mentality with so many offers out do you do you do you have to be diluting the talent pool at some point just by the sheer number of offers so basically What's the value of a Nebraska offer these days? I think it's still pretty high. I mean, some of the the offer numbers are simply because they're a new staff playing catch-up. Right. And so they're just trying to get their name out there, trying to see where interest sticks. I think people don't realize that you transition with a staff, you have a finite amount of resources and time and where you can spend time during the evaluation period. You know, you can't see every kid and start to develop a relationship organically the kids that you were recruiting for an entirely different roster at UCF don't come over completely with what you're recruiting at Nebraska and all of that leads to having to make more offers just as an introductory point with your program I don't think we're looking at this being the new normal for Nebraska and and I think the I've seen the the number passed around on social media of like Nebraska's offered 300 kids or whatever in this class and it's like well, how many of those offers are still left over from Mike Riley's staff? That, that's what I kind of question is, is like have – like Grant Gannell is credited with the Nebraska offer, but he wasn't offered by the staff. So, you know, I, I think the big part of it too, like you said, is you're, you're recruiting for a different offense. You have to find different kinds of players. And I, I just – I think it's more of a clerical error almost in some cases than yeah. an actual number of what's a good offer. And I just don't think it's indicative of what you're going to see going forward. I mean, some of it, like I said, is just the ability to get your name out. And um, I don't think that that is a huge concern because when I've talked with these kids, a lot of them have the green light that if they want to commit, they can. And Nebraska's still done their due diligence as to what their board looks like. They still have the guys that they're working on more than others. They're still, you know, I just talked with a defensive back the other day. They got an offer in May, and he has some Nebraska interest, but there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation, in part because it seems like they're focused on some other guys. And I think the kids understand that. Like, this isn't – the way that it gets framed sometime when you discuss teams that make a lot of offers, that it's like some sort of – fraud is being done here and you know this sleight of hand that these offers are being made and they're telling these kids that they, they have no chance of actually committing here like that's not at all what's happening and i don't know why that narrative has built up so much other than opposing teams and brian ferentz so those are pretty much i i just don't think it's that big of a deal i really don't i mean they they have this thing figured out as to who they want and where they're mm-hmm. spending their focus, but they're also keeping guys in mind that if, you know, they miss on somebody, if they're not able to get 
the tackle that they want, then they're ready to move on down the board and they've got the seat sort of warm because they've already made the offer and they've had some conversation already. Every staff in the country has tiers on their you know, that they're recruiting and it's not a news flash. I mean it, it just isn't. Like some maybe some throw out more offers than others, but it's really nothing new than it's been for a long time. I've had a lot of Iowa talk on the podcast today, by the way. A Ference drop. I was I mentioned Iowa earlier too. They're in your head. I know. Just living rent free. Mm-hmm. Kirk Ference and his three and large, large buyout. Just living up there. Um, we're 52 minutes in, but I think next week what I want to get into a little bit. You've been ranked, Brian. Mario Kart? We could. We always talk about it. We never do it. We should have played Mario Kart with... Actually, I don't think I'll be around next week. You're talking about potting while we play? Yeah. You're, where are you going to be? I'll be out of the state for a few days at the end of the week. Okay. Sounds well, secretive. Yeah. We can... Let's uh, go back to Minnesota. Oh. So, it's not that secretive. We can... Uh, get together at some point and bc's been ranking nebraska's toughest games on the schedule oh, that's a good one All I think right, we, yeah. can, we can probably yell at each other about that for a few minutes not, not today northwestern is not number six <laughs> there are at least five how, how dare you put troy that high <laughs> everybody was a little surprised by how high you had purdue i think though i support it but uh they were high seven who's high? that high well we don't want to I mean, I don't want to ruin everything for next week, yeah. but <laughs> I don't know who's higher than Purdue. Who's no, who's? They were saying that Purdue should have been like nine. Because, yeah, but who's hot? David Blau is going to take a step back, and Jeff Brom aren't they going to start Sindelar anyway? But yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, either you got to put Troy, Colorado, or Minnesota ahead of Purdue. No, no, and no, and. Hey, I'd have put Purdue higher than Northwestern. I'm just telling you what word on the street is. I, love I the, happen to believe you. I love Detroit. Why are you Wag- trying to just run down Jeff Brom, former Cleveland Indians draft pick that I found that out today? Oh, yeah? Yeah, didn't know this. He decided that he didn't want to play baseball? Well, the Indians were really bad when he was drafted, so he probably made the right decision. Yeah. You know what people do is they do that thing where, well, if Mike Riley can beat Purdue, surely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, Purdue had a run. They blew a game in the fourth quarter last year. Nebraska happened to beat them, you know. But Nebraska almost beat Northwestern, too, last year. I mean, we couldn't. Should have. Yeah. If they run the ball and kick a field goal, they win that game. Yeah. So, anyway, Just we can. Pat Fitzgerald doing more with less. <laughs> we can get into that next week. Look forward to it. Mike? What are we doing? We're ending it. Yeah. Is it over? The Get people want it to be over. To, I'm reading about Jeff Brom's career <laughs> with the Indians. It's time to put this podcast down. We're, we're being done with the podcast. All right. Well, as always, you can catch everything that we're writing at this time of year where we're keeping you entertained and informed about Nebraska football, even though things might not be happening. We've got plenty of stuff <laughs> at Nebraska.247sports.com. There's no news, and we're going to tell you there's no news. Well, we're going to create some news to tell you about the news. Take this list and you like it. <laughs> yeah. That might be a lot of what's going to happen at Nebraska.247sports.com. Uh, as always, the podcast is weekly. It isn't always the same day of the week every week, as we've been informed multiple times by people wondering where we were this week. It's, here we are. And here we are. And there we will be next week as well. So you can catch us then at the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. Yeah.